Music and art are an expression of an artist's perspective on life. They shape our own perceptions of reality and help us develop an appreciation for the world around us. Connect with creatives of every nature to understand and deepen your connection to their work on the Evoked Podcast. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Evoked Podcast. My name is Stephanie Welter. I'm a local realtor here with Keller Williams Success Realty, and I'm joined today by Rich Daniels, musical director in the Chicagoland area. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you very much for inviting me, Stephanie. It's a, it's a delight and a joy to be here with you today, so well, thank you. Likewise. Um, so your title, we, we went with musical director, but I think you're, you're most commonly known for being the founder of City Lights Orchestra here in Chicago. Is that accurate? Yeah, although I'd like to think of it as chief cook and bottle opener, you know, that type of thing. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so yes, the founder of City Lights Orchestra and and uh, various related musical activities. And yeah. It's all led to being a music director in various moments and instances throughout my career. That's amazing. So when was City Lights Orchestra founded? What gave you the impetus to start that? And what were you doing just prior to developing it? <laughs> prior to developing it, I was in grade school. Oh, so you've been doing this a while. <laughs> uh, 1974, we started a group called The Big Band Machine. Okay. Uh, that was myself and a gentleman named uh, Mike Moore, mm-hmm. uh, who was one of the true founders of the group. And the other true founder was a man named Paul Seaman. Okay. Uh, Paul Seaman is now a Catholic priest in Chicago. He's Father Paul. Oh. And, and Mike's currently living in Florida. He's a screenwriter and a, an author. And uh, the two of them had wonderful careers, and they together invited me in, in 1974, when I was 14 and they were 15, to start this band called The Big Band Machine. And from The Big Band Machine, I can't even tell you the blessings and opportunities that came into our lives for the the next 48 years. So it's been an amazing ride, and it all started on the south side of Chicago as a... As a high school kid, uh, it was actually my freshman year in high school is when I started. It was right before I entered freshman year. We put this together in August of 74. Wow. And uh, Mike and Paul asked me to join them. And their father, Mike's father was a man named Jim Moore, mm-hmm. wonderful man, just a delightful human being. And he had played a, such a significant role in helping to form the original band, the Big Band Machine. Okay. We didn't become City Lights Orchestra until 1990. But oh, for those, okay. those first 16 years, we were the Big Band Machine. And... Uh, it was, it was a, a fun and exciting ride. That's fantastic. And so from doing a little bit of research, I thought that was one of my favorite quotes was you talk about being in high school, you're a 15-year-old guy, and at the time, you know, obviously rock and roll is king, but you gravitated towards Glenn Miller. <laughs> um, and I can relate to that. I remember being in my 20s, I was working in an office at the time, and I would play like Glenn Miller music, big band, Billie Holiday. I love that music. Um, what drew you to it particularly? I think uh, because when, in, when I was in fourth grade, which you're, what are you, 10, 11 years old when you're in fourth grade, mm-hmm. that's when I found a musical instrument that I fell in love with. It was the saxophone. So to okay. this day, I'm a saxophone player. That's my instrument. I noticed you didn't bring it today. I was I a little disappointed, not. but that's well, okay. Well, yeah, now you can invite me back. Exactly. That'll be a part two. <laughs> uh, but as a saxophone player, when you play a horn like that, you gravitate towards music that involves that instrument. Mm-hmm. If you're so in love with the instrument, which I was, it yes. was my passion from a young age, and the music of jazz and big bands and all that was featuring saxophones in a heavy way. Mm-hmm. Now, at that same time, great rock bands like Chicago and Blood, Sweat and Tears also had horn sections, but they didn't come on my radar, radar until I was in my late 20s. So when I was 14, we discovered the big band music of, of Duke Ellington and Glenn Miller and Benny Goodman and Tommy Dorsey, and we just fell in love with it. Yes. And then we started emulating and copying that, that music with a 14-piece version of a big band. And it just took us to that. But I was always behind in terms of my understanding of pop music. So That's okay. it wasn't until I was in my, 
probably early 20s that I really embraced pop music and rock and roll, and then it really became a big part of my vocabulary and, and the, my love of life. That's but awesome. that are, those early influential years of big band music, I would, would never trade what we learned and what we uh, started out with for anything. Yeah, and you know, everything in your life happens for a reason, and everything is interwoven. The people you meet, the direction that everything. Oh, my goodness. It's crazy. So, big band music, we're in Chicago. What yeah. are some of the best places for us now to see big band music? Because I would love to go. The only one I know of is Green Mill. Yeah. And every time I've gone there, they haven't had it playing, and I was kind of sad. Jazz in general and big band music especially is very difficult to find in this area right yeah. now. Uh, it's, it's a commodity that hasn't been embraced by the current generation in a way that we hope it may save someday. Mm -hmm. But it's like anything. It's cyclical. Things come and go. So I couldn't really tell you a place to hear big band music in Chicago really? right now. Really? I was hoping that um, you would have a list. Occasionally. No, no, it, does, it just doesn't exist. Occasionally you'll go to a club like Winters over by the river, which is a cool new jazz club. They'll have oh. the Chicago Jazz Big Band there on every couple of Sunday nights during the, you know, every, the year sometimes. Uh, the Mulligan Mosaic Big Band is one that I've liked a lot here in town. A guy named okay. Ted Hogarth runs that. Okay. Uh, so there's a couple, but not anything on a regular steady Gotta basis. Gotta go looking for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And even in our day when we were playing regularly with the big band, when we do for music that we really enjoyed presenting that was either original or creative in nature, we had to go to Lincoln Avenue. We played at the clubs on Lincoln Avenue, Orphans, Wise Fools, uh, oh, places like Wise that. Oh, Wise Fools. I haven't heard that in a while. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, well, you were very young when it was there and even younger when it went away. But, yeah. Uh, those clubs would uh, host big band music on a regular basis every Monday night, every yeah. Thursday night. We did that a lot. Yeah. But that was something we did because we loved it. I mean, the guys were making, you know, $8 when they walked out at the end of the night. It was for the love of the music at that point. I think a lot of artists have to do it for the love of the art. I'm Jazz actually... has been a, an art form that suffered that way for since its inception. You know, there's horrible tales about great jazz artists who could not make a living at their craft, yet they were geniuses and yes. just brilliant p p performers and who paid... It took a while to get some traction and make a career out of it, but uh, it's, yeah. it's been a challenge for many of those I'm actually, ironically, I'm rereading, this is probably my third time reading the book Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. Okay. Um, she's the author of Eat, Pray, Love, but she's got a, oh, a okay. wide range to her. And one of her things is she writes about the, the nature of creativity and how sometimes... Like for her, for example, she did not quit her day job until her third book, which was Eat, Pray, Love, which took over the world. Yeah. Um, but she said she didn't want to put that burden on her art. She never wanted to ask that of her art to support her living. And so she allowed her art to be her outlet versus her living. Sure. And a lot of artists can feel that way, that they don't want to monetize their art. They don't yeah. want to have to succumb to social or, or pressures for the marketplace and take their art in that direction. I get it. Mm -hmm. In Chicago, we're a very pedestrian town. So all the many musicians I've known in this town have in some form or another been willing to use their art to make great art, mm -hmm. but they will also use it to support their families too. Yes. It's not necessarily monetizing your art. It's a, it's a question of how can I continue to, to do what I love to do and make a living and, and raise a family and support them that way. Yeah, so, and, and that's how it should be. Yeah. You should be, um, I don't want to say pay, but you should be, you know, you should be rewarded for what you're good at doing. And if you're providing a value to someone and, you know, giving them music that they enjoy and... See, that's the key right there. You hit on it. 
if you're bringing music to people that they enjoy and that gives them a, a great emotional impact for having done so, the fact that it may not be the music you most prefer in your life and that you most want to represent still gives it great value because yeah. you're bringing meaning to them as the patrons of the art. We can't be as artists, we can't be so closed up that we don't consider what the people who are enjoying our art really want to hear from us or see from us or have us give them. Yeah. You know, that's that interchange between artist and audience that's so very, very, very important. Yeah. So it's not a question of monetizing your art as much as working in a marketplace that allows you to do what you love to do, mm -hmm. make a living, and still be an artist in the, in the long run. Yeah. So, and, and, and in Chicago, like I was saying, you were a very Midwestern city, so people who in, in the music industry, they may teach, they may perform, they may work in the studios, they may play in the theaters, they may so do a bit of all of that yeah. to make a, a living and a career out of it. And most of them do. Really yeah, you kind of have to like shackle it together, yeah. you know, so they're all within the same field, but you can't just do one. You kind of have to do a couple right. things. So we've had lots of players do lots of different things mm -hmm. that way. And, uh, and many of your listeners and viewers would probably recognize them from their face in a pit or their sounds from a recording, either for a commercial or for a film or television project. Mm -hmm. You know, they get around in various ways. And so we are thrilled in Chicago to have one of the best bases of musical talent anywhere on the planet. There's some extraordinary music. It is, but it's true. And it's some extraordinary musical talent that comes here to Chicago. And so artists from around the planet come here and love working in Chicago, whether yes. it's Yo-Yo Ma, who comes here for the shows. John Williams, the great composer of film classics, he came to Chicago. My brother loves John Williams. Well, and well worth loving. He just turned yes. 90 years old a few days ago, John Williams. Really? But he, he had so much clout and influence that he could pick the orchestra and the musicians he wanted for his various projects. Wow. When he scored the motion picture Lincoln that Steven Spielberg created, yes. he wanted the Chicago Symphony. Oh, oh, he chose the Chicago, Chicago Symphony, Symphony. So Orchestra. they brought the, uh, the mobile trucks into the Symphony Center. Wow. And for four days, they recorded the Chicago Symphony, which is what that soundtrack of that entire film is. Great, hmm. world-class musicians living and working in Chicago. They choose yeah. our musicians. Well, which is a, a real testament when that happens, too. Yeah. And uh, I know we'll probably talk about television and film down the road, but it's the same thing. When TV came to Chicago, mm -hmm. they realized that the, the environment was rife with talent. Not mm -hmm. only a musical talent for Aaron, but the production talent, the studios, all the people who create the films, you know, they had, mm -hmm. we had so much here in Chicago to offer that. Right. It became Why reinvent industry. the wheel when you can come to Chicago and have it, you know, well, the, all the best quality here. Expanding the wheel. So yeah, yeah, yeah from the Hollywood great. world. So I'm going to use that as a perfect segue then to talk about the, the show Empire. <laughs> um, okay. You were the musical director of Empire for all, is it six or eight seasons? Six, six. seasons, 102 episodes. That's crazy. Uh, and it was a marvelous experience. I was the on-camera music director, but then I was also the, the catch-all music guy for anything they need, needed that wasn't done in scoring in Hollywood. Everything else, that was, everything that was done on camera was done here in Chicago. Everything, all 102 episodes. So it's a New York show filmed in Chicago. Right, it was set in New York City, fictitiously, mm -hmm. and it was filmed in Chicago. And it had some of the biggest stars in the entertainment world on it, both as cast and as musical guest artists. So we had Jennifer Hudson, we had Patti LaBelle, we had Snoop Dogg, we had Alicia Keys. I mean, my gosh, the, the list is That's endless. And then amazing. as cast, we had Cuba Gooding Jr., we had Forrest Whitaker, Marissa Tomei, Demi Moore. Goosebumps. You know, and, and our main cast, Terrence Howard, yeah. Jussie Smollett. Taraji Henson, Trey Byers. These were amazing, gifted actors and actresses. And you got to work with and direct them? Yes, with the music aspect. The music. The music direction, well, yeah. you, you named out some really big names there. So like, you're, oh, it was an extraordinary you know, direct experience. Direct interaction. That's so cool. Yeah, it was an extraordinary experience to help them capture their artwork on, on film yeah. and to you know portray it in a way that was suitable for the television show and it oftentimes was an extraordinary musical experience for those involved, including myself. Commercial television, you'd think it's, it's a nighttime soap opera that has music. Yes, it was. 
but it had some really great moments on it. Right. Because you know, the, the talent was off the wall. So, yeah, when you get artists of that caliber in one room together, you know, yeah. that's, yeah. it's got to be like a magical experience for you and for everyone watching. It was, and it was a game changer for Chicago, uh, for mm -hmm. the production community. That show elevated the production community in Chicago to another level. Yeah. Um, having a show that large and that successful, the season two premiered, Episode one of season two premiered to 29 million viewers. Wow. Okay, those are huge sporting what? event numbers. Yeah. You know, an average television show gets 10 million viewers. A show that's going to still live on gets six or seven million viewers. A really great show gets 12 or 15. You start hitting 20 and 20 million plus, you're in the stratosphere of, of shows. And as I was mentioning to, to Tony, uh, your, your, your podcast partner here, I, there's only 3% of all television shows that get beyond five seasons. Yeah, so it's got true. six seasons. It's a very six. small minority. People don't realize, oh, geez, you know, that show went, you know, eight years, won 12 seasons, whatever. Yeah, but that's the minority. It's right. Like, like people say And that, sometimes they should have cut it. <laughs> they, <laughs> oh, yeah. They may have jumped the shark 12 seasons ago. <laughs> You know, it's, it's, think of the sports world. What are there, maybe 700 Major League Baseball players? Yeah. Well, in a, um, in a nation of 300 million people and in a world community that expands because Major League Baseball you know, pulls from all over the planet, yeah. uh, that's hundreds of millions of people for 650 jobs. Wow. It's a very small minority who actually get to that level. Same with network television that gets to that level and lasts that long. Right. But it was a game changer for Chicago because it employed so many people and it showed Hollywood, here's a place to come to. Right. Hollywood loves Chicago. They love our visuals. They love shooting on location throughout the city, mm -hmm. the neighborhoods, the lakefront, all the beauty we have in Chicago. Uh, we did tremendous amount of location shooting at Empire. That's awesome. And so that was one of actually 12 shows I worked on in the last... 11 years in Chicago. What are some of the other ones? The first one was the Playboy Club. It was NBC. Oh, okay. It, uh, we shot seven episodes. We aired a total of three episodes, and it crashed and burned a horrible death because oh, no. it wasn't a good show. Oh, no, okay. <laughs> but the funny thing, that was the first show to be shot at, that new studio they built on the south side. And I think everybody had great trepidation and concern that, oh, my gosh, the first show is a huge yeah. critical flop. Where do we go from here? From there, they went to the show Boss with Kelsey Grammer. Oh, okay. Which starred him as the fictitious, fictitious mayor of Chicago. I, I do like to, Kelsey Grammer. Yes, he's wonderful. I, and I got to write some of the music and put musicians on camera for the pilot. Okay. And from there, we went to Betrayal, and then we did episodes of Chicago Med. Uh, my production partner and myself, a guy named Jeff Morrow, who's an extraordinarily talented vocalist, music producer. When I brought him into Empire in season three, he helped to redefine the landscape of how we presented the music on camera. But oh, Jeff cool. and I together worked on uh, Lovecraft Country. We worked on a show called Light Years just recently okay. for Amazon Prime. And then the one we just finished up with was a show called The Big Leap, which was on Fox. Like really delightful. It was on, it got huge numbers, it yeah. played really well. But Jeff and I also got to work on camera on that show, That's which fascinates cool. both so of us. So you were in the show? Yeah, well, Empire put me on probably six different episodes as the conductor when they needed one. Mm. Um, a couple other shows have used me that way as well, but Big Leap used us in the last, in the season, in the season finale, which aired in December of last year, which was fun. Again, you know, joke, Jeff and I make a joke about it, but we both feel we have a face for radio, not for Stop television. It. So. No, look at this outfit here. You look amazing. Uh, well, <laughs> well, when you spend money, you can get any, anybody can look good. <laughs> I'm wearing a white T-shirt, so you look great. <laughs> Thank and you know what? You. Here, I'm going to point this out to you because my friend is the one who brought us together. These are my cufflinks. These are, what do they say? They say Mercy Home on them. Oh. Father Scott gave me a great honor. Father Aww. Scott, the president of Mercy Home for Boys and Girls, who was on one of your first podcast. I love Father Scott. He was a dear friend who brought us together. Yes. Father Scott uh, honored me uh, with one of the great honors of my life when he became president of the Mercy, Boys of Girl, uh, Mercy Home for Boys and Girls in Chicago. He asked me to be his first board chairman. I which did was, know that. I mean, that's, my goodness, Stephanie, it was a huge honor. 
And at the end of my term as chairman, he gave me these beautiful cufflinks. Wow, so and, these uh, are your go-to, you wear them everywhere. They're when I, when I want to have some meaning in what's appearing on my cuffs, I'll put these on. That's so awesome. So I've, I've worn these uh, special concerts and occasions. Mm -hmm. uh, I gave them to my son to wear on his wedding day. Wow. So they're, they're, a, they're like a family heirloom now. That's and amazing. And literally, yeah, Father's those are time. a fairly family heirloom for sure. And, yeah. You know, serving the home and all the things they do for the city. I mean, because when, when you look at City Lights Orchestra, I would say probably 50% of your website has a philanthropic tilt to it. So you guys do a lot of charity events, a lot of collaboration. Obviously with Mercy Home because of your affiliation with them, but what other kind of charity work do you do? You know what? There's that phrase, too much, to whom much has been given, much is expected. Mm -hmm. It's been used by many different people for many mm -hmm. different things, and much has been given to us. I can't even begin to tell you. Yeah. To me personally, to my family, my wife, our children, and to the many friends and family members we've had, we've been very blessed individuals living in a very fortunate environment with much, never a chance, none of us have to worry about it. Food over, uh, roof over our heads, food on our table, you know, those are things that are basic things in life that many people have to worry about every day. Yeah. So that blessing alone in our lives tells us we have to do something for ourselves. You have others. to so, get back. Um, uh, yeah, we've been involved with lots of the nonprofits in Chicago as a provider with the orchestra, uh, trying to be generous when possible. Mm -hmm. uh, Mercy Home has a huge part of our heart. I mean, that is mm -hmm. a place that I'll hopefully be involved with as long as I'm sucking oxygen in on the planet. I mean, <laughs> or until they tell me to get away from them. <laughs> Uh, well, that, my, might, that might happen sooner. You never <laughs> no, know. Just uh, my relationship with the home started, um, with Mercy Home, started yeah. around 1989 90 when a guy named Mark Moraz, who's another dear friend of Father Scott and myself, mm -hmm. okay. uh, brought me into the home. And Father Scott was then engaged as a board member at the home, mm -hmm. and then he became the associate president. And of course, he's been the president for probably 12 or 14 years now. Yeah. Uh, but we've, we've helped with other organizations, charitable, the, the, the Kennedy Forum. Yeah, also, a, yeah he's a, a Father, member of that board as right, well. Right, as am I, and we've helped with yeah. that. Uh, the Boys and Girls Clubs of mm -hmm. Chicago, we've helped a little bit with our friend Mimi LeClaire, okay. the president and CEO of Boys and Girls Club. She's a former Mercy Home uh, person, so, came you know, as an employee there. It's a nonprofit world. They're all working together for the greater good. Yeah, and there's just so many. There's just so many. Yeah. All doing good work in the community and all helping to uh, make Chicago and the people they serve a better place. But none more than Mercy Home. Because yeah. at Mercy Home, they save and change the lives of children every day. Yep. You know, During my tenure as the chair of that board, I was privy to in information on the inside workings of the home, mm -hmm. seeing how the co-workers function, seeing the backstories of the children on a regular basis, yeah. all that, and it was, it was dramatic and meaningful, and it just showed me that uh, you, know, you, make sure, you have to make sure that your life has a value to it that has meaning to others as well. Right. That if you can do something to help others improve their lives, you have to do it. So my, my go-to phrase with my family, friends, and children has been that giving is a moral imperative. Hmm. You know, we consider giving a, an option. If yeah. I ask you to give me $100 to donate to something, you say yes, you say no. You say, oh, you know what, I'm doing something else, or I'm going to maybe donate to somewhere else. It's an option in life. Right. But some form of giving, I'd like people to believe, is a moral imperative. We I are like especially, that a lot. Especially in a nation like this, in a country like this. You know, we're living in a time that's hugely divisive, and people are, you know, screaming at each other. It's so sad to see all that's going on. Mm -hmm. But uh, fundamentally, this whole nation has been blessed in ways that we don't even know. And we've been given so much. You yeah. know, we control 20% of the world's wealth in one nation of 140 industrialized nations. We have 20%. You know, there's so many things that we take for granted in our right. lives. You know, and I try to remember that for myself and then maybe occasionally gently point it out to others. Yeah, you have indoor plumbing. You know, I mean, you can <laughs> give back. There's so many yes. opportunities, whether it be financially. Or your I used time. To work your time and your talent. Time, talent, and treasure. That's the three Cs. Yeah, there I used is. to be a nonprofit. Yeah. So I, I know how that 
that works and to, to get people like you to actually take it seriously and give is really special because I was in fundraising for a long time and it's, it doesn't come naturally to people, so that's great. Right, and, and, the, and the other main example in my life mm -hmm. is the person I'm married to. We'll be married for 35 years this May, that's my wife Kathy, because everything she does, and she does so much for so many, is all under the radar. I've spent a career that every time I show up and do something, yeah. you know, in an, as a concert or whatever, you know, getting way too much credit and adulation. She does all her work under the radar. That's she's cool. a nurse by trade. And I'd have to imagine if we were to rank the top 10 nurses on the planet, she's one of them. Oh, so. you hear that, Kathy? <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. And she's been a great example for me and our family because yeah. she does everything under the radar, as did that her is, mother and I does her that. mother. Her mother turns 92 tomorrow. Aww. She's still... Happy I, I, birthday. Yeah, and she acts like she's 42. And she's an incredibly giving, generous, wonderful woman wonderful. and a great example to the family. And she was a great example to her daughter, who then takes it to us. It's all exponential. Yep. How we act and how we treat the people around us, it rubs off on us. You know, so I've become a better person because of my wife. It's crazy how that happens. And like we even said earlier, the people you meet, you know, it just, it does ripple. Every little decision you make, every person you collaborate with, you know, the face of Chicago business working with Tony, I mean, he's yeah. such a philanthropic person and giving back to the homeless and doing scholarships for people in need. I mean, I found myself gravitating towards more and more, I, I hate to always overuse the word philanthropic, but you know, charitable causes as much as possible. And now that my business has become more successful with real estate and loans, yeah. we're now trying to give back to small businesses and, you know, find opportunities to do that free advertising, you know, invite them to be on the podcast. If they can't afford an advertising budget, come talk about your business. You know, yeah. I, I always tell them I've made flyers that I'll just hand out and say, you know, if you need something, let us know yeah. because it's all about community. That's what it's really, you know, how can we hold each other up? especially in times like this when there are a lot of small businesses struggling with COVID and, you know, people being shut down and, you know, there was a lot of lack of funding last year. That's right. Um, but I want to bring us back to music. But well, before we go there, you've okay. got a servant's heart. Clearly you have a servant's Thank heart. Thank you. And that level of giving and appreciation is part of your DNA. And that's something in some ways you can't teach somebody. Oh, it might be buried within it, but it, and it comes out. But obviously, it comes out of you on a regular basis. That means and the a fact lot. that you, you and your husband and family are such dear friends of a man that we all love and admire, Father Scott, the fact that he's embraced your family the way he has speaks volumes about you and Jim and your family. Well, thank because you. Father Scott is a loved figure in Chicago, he's and there's everything. no shortage of people who would love to have him as his, their friend. I always, not joke, I, I tell him, you know, there's that saying, what would Jesus do? And, mm -hmm. you know, talk about living the mission versus preaching the gospel. I mean, he lives it. Yes, he does. He's not standing out there on a pedestal reading Bible verses. He's under the radar, making connections, helping people. The stuff that he does behind the scenes outside of Mercy Home, oh, yeah. I mean, it far surpasses what he does for the home, which is like amazing, you know, even there. I mean, I, I had the privilege of working for Mercy Home for a period of time and just seeing wonderful. him with the children and the programs and the things that he does. So, but It's very genuine yeah. and very real. Yeah. And, and that's an organization that, again, changes and saves the lives of children every single day. It does. In a huge way. You see the stories of the children. You know, at some point you'll have our friend Jim Williams on your show, CBS2 Anchor. Oh, yeah. And Jim has done maybe 30 videos profiling children over the many years at Mercy Home that we use to show what Mercy Home does. The and we home. can do that here, too. Yeah. There's so many yeah. opportunities. By the way, commercial for your buddy Tony in this studio. This is magnificent. Yeah, I mean, I spent my life in studios, and I walked into this today. I had no idea what we were walking into, this magnificent <laughs> space he has. So I know. I can't say enough good you. things, and oh, I love goodness. having people here. It's I will like, find a way to come back here and bring you some business, friend. So. Oh, see, there you go. <laughs> 
This um, is such a warm and wa friendly environment. So. It is. I love coming here, and it makes it easier to facilitate just comfortable conversation because I yeah. don't feel like I'm on stage. You know, it kind of right. gives you like the, the nerves. I never have the nerves here. Um, <laughs> But anyway, so going back to some of the people that you've worked with, you know, obviously I've done my homework and I know you've, you know, Ray Charles, Garth Brooks. I'm going to be selfish and direct the conversation to what I want to talk about. <laughs> I'm a huge... It's like I'm talking to my wife now. Yeah, <laughs> okay, so let's talk about my interests. Um, I'm a huge Beatles fan, and I saw that Paul McCartney oh. <laughs> asked you to come to his hotel room to teach his wife Well, saxophone. not Paul directly, but his people asked me. It was, it was a crazy story in 2002. Tell me everything. Just please, don't spare any details. Okay. Because Paul McCartney, oh my God, are you kidding me? Well, it was 2002, and I had an office on Ohio Street and my business partner, Dean Rolando, mm -hmm. who's, the, who's the associate music director of the City Lights Orchestra. Mm -hmm. Dean is exactly 10 years my senior. He's like the big brother I never had. Mm -hmm. He's the guy in life that, I, that, that stops me from doing really stupid things. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody needs someone like that. He's on your right Dean is my guy. And he's a brilliant musician. He is a loved figure in the music community in Chicago. And I just adore him as a man and a person. He's a great, great human being. But Dean and I were sitting in the office that day, and my cell phone was ringing. Now, this is 2002, 20 years ago. Cell phones rarely have ever worked. Mm -hmm. If they did work, the only people who had your phone number were people you gave it to. Right. And, would, and that's a handful of people, and they really didn't work very well. Yeah. We're in the office. I saw the cell phone. It was one of those little flip phones, I want to say. I just ignored it because I figured that's you know, not anything that's because I don't recognize the number. And I let it go. And so uh, we're, we're doing whatever business we're doing in the office that day, and it rings again, the same number. And Dean said, what? Well, why don't you just answer it and see what it is? I said, well, it's probably nothing related to what we need to focus on. He said, just answer the phone. I answered the phone. There's a voice with an English accent on it. And I think his name was Robert. He said, hi, uh, this is Robert. And the, uh, is this Rich Daniels? I said, uh, yes, it is. I, I'll stop doing the accent at this point. Yeah, I, I'm terrible with accents. Right, but, but he says, I'm, I, he says uh, I'm working with an act, and uh, we're over at the United Center, and we need a saxophone lesson for someone who's with the act today. I said, okay, I'm not a teacher. He said, well, we know you're not a teacher, but you're a saxophonist, right? I said, well, I'm a music director and a saxophone player. Mm -hmm. So, well, do you think you can come over and have a little blow with our, our person and just, you know, give them a few pointers on the horn? I said, sure, I will be happy to try and make that happen. He said, we're not doing it at the United Center. He said, we're doing it at the Ritz-Carlton in So Chicago. you said yes before you knew who it was? I never knew who it was till I got there. Oh, my God. <laughs> but the, the thing that lured me was that, to back the story up, I hope we hear more, he offered me a sum of money that was well beyond what anybody mm, gets for teaching okay. an hour of saxophone. So this wasn't just you, like, oh, someone wants a lesson, I'll And be then there. He, he named a name where he got my number from. Yes. It was a very credible source. Okay. So he named the name, and he offered me a stupid amount of money mm -hmm. for basically an hour. Now, Ritz-Carlton is about four blocks away from my office. Mm -hmm. So uh, at that point, I was in cargo shorts and a T-shirt, just you know, working in my office. Sure. So I put on a suit, probably similar to what I'm wearing today, and I grabbed my horn. I said, fine, I'm, I'm game. I'm curious now. So yes. I go to the Ritz-Carlton, and uh, security finds me as I walk in, and they recognize me from a picture that was given to them from the Internet from these same people who had called me and asked me to come by. So, oh, okay, that's interesting. I sat in the lobby, and then slowly things started to evolve and be revealed to me. Paul McCartney's appearing at the United Center. Sitting here, this is Paul's band members, Wicks and some of the guys that are working with him. So, great, Abel Boreal, you know, who's the drummer, magnificent player. And uh, I find out then uh, that I'm going to give a saxophone lesson to Paul's then wife, Heather Mills. It's insane. Because she wanted to learn to play the saxophone. And apparently, they were going from town just to town. Just randomly? She just wanted to Well, learn. it was the instrument she chose. She had played oboe as a young child, but she oh. wanted to learn to play the saxophone because she thought it might be something she could do with Paul when they're sitting around the castle and having fun. Yes. Lovely. <laughs> wonderful. So they get me on an elevator, take me up to the 25th floor, and the whole floor is sealed with the exception of the rooms they had, security all over the place. And I go to the end of the floor where the presidential suite is, 
and uh, the, the handler who brings me there knocks on the door. It's act, the handler is actually the guy who works on stage with Paul and is in charge of that magnificent left-handed bass he plays, oh, yes. as well as all the other staging for the for the for Paul for the last thirty years. Yeah. Oh wow. So he's name. been by his side for the for the at whole least ride thirty or forty or years. Most yeah. Of the ride. Yeah. Some of the and ride. And so he knocks on the suite, and it's a double door, and, and there's Heather Mills standing there. And she says, hi, Rick, I'm Heather, come on in, you know, and, uh, and all you can be here. It's, oh, well, pleasure is mine. I'm still kind of confused Do by it all. Do you get nervous ever? Of course, we all get nervous. Okay. Anyone who says they don't are lying. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyhow, we go into the suite, the presidential suite at the Ritz-Carlton. It's a two-story suite with a spiral staircase in the middle. Yeah, the Ritz is beautiful. Yeah, and this suite is a magnificent space. We sit by the couch, and she says, she's got her horn, and she says, oh, I've got some music I want to show you, and I've... Oh, you know, well, blah, blah, blah. And she said, but Paul will be down in a minute to say hello. That's when my heart jumped out of my mouth. Yes. Think, Paul will be down to say oh hello. Oh, my goodness. About three minutes later, while her and I are just gabbing, this figure comes down the spiral staircase. Mm, you got to see Paul walk it's down Paul the McCartney. spiral staircase. He walks over to me, extends his hand while I'm sitting. He says, hi, Rick, I'm Paul. <laughs> now, first off, nobody calls me Rick. Usually they get corrected when they do. It's one of the few things I will do. I'll say, no, it's Rich. Right. I think I'm, I'm cutting him some slack. Call me Rick. Yeah, whatever. Call you... me whatever you want, pal. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, I've had this dream before of a beetle walking up to me and saying hello. It's unbelievable. And here's Paul McCartney. And it was one of those moments where my, my heart fell out into my stomach. It's like, mm -hmm. Because, I mean, I had no idea what I was walking into. An hour and a half ago, I was sitting in cargo shorts, you know, doing business with my partner. And here I am an hour and a half later with Paul McCartney out of the it's blue. Insane. When we've worked with other major name talent, well, like I said, Ray Charles or Garth Brooks or whomever. At least you know it's coming. Yeah. yeah. This is... What is going on here? <laughs> and she, do you ever see these little wire music stands that children use to, to you know, they, they use it for practice at home. Yeah. They pull out and they yes, open up. sure. So Heather hands me the wire music stand while Paul's talking to me. And she says, be a deer and open this up for me. I said, sure. I am fumbling like an absolute idiot. I can and he's, imagine. Now he's watching me. And I'm, I think he's kind of enjoying this thing. <laughs> I have to imagine he knows that he unnerves people when he's meeting them for the first time, especially when they don't know that we're of having course, this moment. yeah. If he doesn't, there's... Yeah. Probably something wrong. Oh, I think he's having a little fun with it. So finally, he comes over to me. He's watching me struggle. He t taps me on the, the, the arm with it. Give, give me those. I know how difficult they can be. And, but, you know, three <laughs> seconds later, he puts it, it up. Yeah, yeah. Right? I said, thanks. Uh, <laughs> and he said, has somebody, uh, you know, giving you tickets to the show tonight? I said, yeah, they've uh, given me some backstage passes. And I'm going to call my wife and bring, oh, yeah, come back, say hello. All the, you know. <laughs> and um, the lesson went on for an hour. He bobbed in and out. You know, he was eating toast and jam at one point. Wow. I was thinking, that sounds like a lyric from one of your songs. You know? Yes. <laughs> Did you watch either of his documentaries that oh, came yeah. out this year? I'm, I was a big fan before this day. Yeah. And I've, I've been following their career since I was a child, like most people. Uh, he's an amazingly gifted yeah. artist and a really genuinely warm human being. Yes. Did you ever see the thing he did with uh, 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 the talk show host? Uh, it was Carpool Karaoke. Oh, yes. James um, Corden. Yes. That's yeah. a really lovely 20-minute uh, segment. I don't segment. think I've seen the one with Paul McCartney. It's really I'll have to worth check watching. it out. That's awesome. He was lovely. He was warm. He was inviting. He was generous. Uh, and his wife was very nice. It's sad. I know that, that marriage didn't work out yeah. for him. She was an amateur player. She had you know, like the skills of a seventh or eighth grader on the horn. Mm -hmm. I tried to help her, coach her along a little bit, gave her some things to work on when we weren't together, emailed her some charts and things she could work on afterwards. Right. It but doesn't it come a, naturally to everybody. Right. But it was a, an hour long we were together. And like I said, he kept bobbing in and out before he had to run to the sound check for the show. Oh, that's and, just uh, incredible. It was, right. It was an amazing experience because it had really nothing to do with music. Yeah. It had to do with just this moment I was asked to be a part of something and be a grade school band director for a moment to somebody <laughs> <laughs> with marginal a... skills at best. Uh, though she was lovely too. And, you know, she has, a, I know she has a prosthetic 
leg. Uh, she was in a horrible accident years ago. It was well, well recorded. And she, yeah. too, was running up and down that spiral staircase. Oh, wow. And she had a, a long pantsuit on, so I couldn't see anything other than a person with two legs, a, a lovely young lady. And yeah. the way she was flying up and down those stairs, I kept saying, wait a minute. You have an artificial leg. How are you mm. doing this? People adapt. Yeah. Or they most adapted I can't do this now with two legs. You know, so. Yeah. Spiral staircase will get you. I used to live in an apartment yeah. that had one, and you don't want to go on one of those if you've had a few cocktails. Let's put it that way. <laughs> those so, are uh, tricky so to I, navigate. I walked out of the Ritz, and uh, I found a phone and called my wife. I said, I can't even tell you the day I've had. Get a babysitter. Get on a train. Get that. We're going to a concert. I'll tell you about it when you get here. Oh. This is beyond crazy to, to tell you. And the did day she I've get had. to meet him, like backstage, or the was sad reality is we were supposed to go backstage before the concert to meet him. Oh. And so we went back afterwards. They said no. Paul gets in from the stage. He walks right into a car oh, inside the building. That makes he walks sense. into a car and he's on his way back to the, the hotel. Maybe he'll see this and give you a call. <laughs> Paul, it's been 20 years. I've been waiting to hear from you. You know, so. <laughs> um, I, I actually wouldn't mind coming too. Um, <laughs> but it was a, 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 a significant experience because he was a world figure in music. It's, Not that we haven't worked with others, but it was, um, he was a Beatle. I mean, my I, There's just nothing. They've shaped and changed the, the face of uh, the country. Yesterday was the 58th anniversary of their appearance on the Ed Sullivan Show. Wow, okay. Day before yesterday. And uh, that moment in time really changed the face of music, changed the face, helped change the face of culture, politics. Everything started moving different ways yep. in 1964 and mm -hmm. gave us that tumultuous 60s that we experienced. Gosh, I could talk about this for like 100 years. Yeah. We're, we're going to have to do a part two because I know that Tony gave us the little five-minute marker. Oh, <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry. But I would love to talk more with you about this. Um, but before we end the podcast, I want to hear what you've got coming up with City Lights Orchestra, anything on TV, any cool events coming up sure the, the the world of television has been a big part of what I've done professionally for now the last 11 years mm -hmm. so we uh, this is pilot season coming up in March we're hoping the 20th Century Fox and Disney who are the two studios I've mostly worked for we're hoping they bring a pilot that's gonna require some on-camera music and we'll awesome. help out with that in the meantime I'm working with uh, I'm, a, I'm a union official in Chicago with the musicians union I've mm -hmm. been involved for 30 years with the union so we're lobbying for tax credits to get more music to come to the state of Illinois that's uh, so working on that level to try and make things better for our community of musicians um, yeah, whatever happens, you know, the pandemic's been very hurtful to our entire community. Oh my goodness, it yes, really to has. not be able to do concerts yeah. for an entire year. Yeah. I can't talk about a ripple effect. It's hard to bounce back from that. People had to go get different jobs, and this, it, it trickles down all the way to, the, you know, the hospitality industry, people that are driving the vans, you know. Right. It's, it's the whole oh, face of music got shook last year. So, so, God willing, the pandemic is coming to a manageable term right now, and we can all get back to it. And for yeah. me, one of the significant things I've done for the last seven years has been the conductor of a show called the Jerry Garcia Symphonic Celebration, featuring oh, a wonderful artist named that, Warren Haynes, who's a guitarist. And a, oh, oh my, Jackie, are you watching this? <laughs> my best friend is obsessed with Warren Haynes. Oh, she well, traveled with the Dead Forever. She's in hospitality. Um, she I've lives traveled in with Warren for right three now. different years now. Oh my goodness, So Jackie, I've been Warren's conductor girl. for these programs. He's, and we did a program, we did an album together, Warren and I, two years ago in 2019, right before the pandemic, in Asheville. I got to meet him once through Jackie. She's friends with him. That is too funny. Warren and I have become very good friends in the last seven years. I love this man. Oh and, uh, Tell him Jackie Camrat says hi. I will make sure. Yeah. And uh, if we get back to Red Rocks with the Colorado Symphony, you guys will have to come out as our guests and enjoy that. That would be an absolute honor. Have you been to Red Rocks? Not to see a show. I've been there when it you know, All right. was close. We had, the, we had 90 musicians from the Colorado Symphony. I was the conductor. Warren was the act out in front and his band with us, and we did this amazing show at Red Rocks, which was one of the top five experiences of my life, because it's this wow. spiritual space that's it's just 
unbelievable. Yeah. 10,000 people in the crowd. It was Jerry Garcia's birthday. Ugh. The music was all Jerry's. It was a Jerry Garcia symphonic celebration. And oh it was just, uh, and, it, and it was all, all the more better because I brought my wife and children at the time out to be with us for that because I knew it was going to be a special concert. Yes, that sounds... But Warren is a wonderful man. Wow. I mean, we've become dear friends and... Uh, We've worked together like probably, oh, I don't know, 30 or 40, 30 or 40 of these concerts around the country. Baltimore Symphony, Atlanta Symphony, Nashville Symphony, Berkeley Symphony, Colorado Symphony, Jeez. Milwaukee, Chicago, St. Louis. I mean, it's been a great tour we've done on a number of occasions. I would now. love to see that show. Yeah. I'm like not, I'm being so genuine. I well, would love the, the to see that show. The album we did was with the Asheville Symphony in Asheville, North Carolina. I'm sure Jackie knows And that album's not out yet, guys. but that album will come out when we do the next tour. Like I said, the pandemic stopped everything from moving forward. But wow. hopefully that album with the orchestra comes out with that with Warren, and then we start touring with that. That sounds incredible. Lots of fun. Well, I want to thank funny. you again for coming. Oh. I feel like I have so many more questions. Well, I have questions for you we never got to because I wonder more about you and your <laughs> wonderful family and Jim and your children and all oh that you're doing gosh. in your life. Screw Jim. Let's talk about <laughs> <laughs> Um Yeah, no, this was incredible, and I'm, I'm lit up right now. I'm so curious with all the other people you've met and the experiences you've had, so I'm really grateful that you came to do my humble podcast oh today. Oh, my goodness. I'm thank delighted you. to be here. And, you know, thank the you. fact that Father Scott is your friend, you know, any friend of Father Scott's is someone would say would be a friend of ours. So I love it. Delighted to be here. Thank you. Thank you.